Welcome to the Mining and Markets Podcast, hosted by Synergy Capital, your source for finding opportunity in the junior mining and resources space, one voice at a time. Welcome back to the Mining and Markets Podcast by Synergy Capital. Today, we have a special guest joining us, Mr. Gary Lewis, the CEO of Electric Metals, formerly known as Nevada Silver. Gary, it's great to have you here, particularly considering the timely nature of this episode. Congratulations on the recent assay results. After personally witnessing the drill course in Minnesota last week, and now with the market having access to the results, I'm super eager to delve into the details with you. Thanks, Elaine. Great to be here. Let's discuss these results a little bit further and what they truly mean. You know, in my opinion, metals like copper, gold, and silver, there's a clear understanding of assays because you can easily compare grades and intercepts with peer-listed companies and bigger players, which helps you gauge their significance. With manganese, it becomes more of a challenge due to the limited number of junior companies in North America and globally, and just generally the scarcity of data for comparison. I'm particularly interested in understanding the significance of having 13 intercepts assaying over 40%. You know, how do these grades stack up against other players in the industry? Because you did mention in your news release that it appears that no other manganese companies have encountered grades of such magnitude. Can you expand on this a little bit further? Thank you. Yeah, just to clarify, uh, no other public companies have have published anywhere near these grades, and they are ultra high. I mean, typically you're seeing a lot of the deposits, whether out of Australia, uh, certainly in North America, around 10%, certainly sub 10%. So grades are 40 percent are certainly outlier grades. You get a lot of the deposits in, in South Africa, typically private companies exhibiting such grades, but, but they are very rare, rare for public companies. But just to put grade in, in perspective, it's not just about grade, it's what it's what the grade delivers. You know, when you're developing a mine, it's about the minerality as much as it is about the grade. So when we're dealing with such high grade, it doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else. Certainly it doesn't leave a lot of room for anything deleterious. So what we're dealing with at Emily is probably a manganese oxide deposit, manganite to be specific, um, with the constituent parts of the ore comprising manganese, iron, silica and clays. There's no sulfides, there's no base metals, there's no other deleterious elements. So the incredibly high grades, as I said, leaves little room for much else. And this ultimately leads to less processing complexity, lower emissions load in the upgrading of the ore to battery grade materials. That's great. How much drilling remains to be done and what are your expectations for the next set of assays? We originally designed a a 41-hole program uh, that was going to run to the end of the year. But as we started to see the drill core and the results coming through, we decided to shorten the program to 30 holes. And we've got, so we've got five holes remaining. The reason we decided to shorten the program, to be frank, is that we've got enough material for a potential multi-decade mine. So we can always come back to drilling. Uh, we're spoiled for more than enough resource than we'll ever need, to be honest with you, in this project. So as I say, we've got five holes to go, and we're looking at a hard stop in July, uh, so next month. From my understanding, the historic resource on this project is based only on about seven drill holes located on a pretty small section of the deposit. Is it a possibility that assay results from this program could suggest the resource is actually much larger in size and scope? Uh, well, the short answer is yes. The existing resource is around 6.5 million tonnes, averaging just under 20% MN, so 19.6% MN. As you say, this is just from seven holes, when historically there were over 70 holes that have been drilled by uh, companies of, of repute, uh, including US Steel, Pickens, Mather, etc. We've digitised and relogged the majority of those historic holes. And it's those insights that give us the confidence, uh, you know, as you're drilling, you can't really extrapolate to a, a particular resource size. But what we did do is digitize the historic data and model that data. And that gives us the confidence that we'll, we'll, the resource upgrade we're planning for later this year will be higher than the current resource. Um, again, as a point to that, US Steel actually conceptualized an open pit mine and that had 20, 20 million tons of material. 
grading 15% MN, that conceptual mind sits on our land. So that's why we're confident that we can increase the existing resource size. And after this campaign is over, you know, what are the next steps to advance the Emily project? You, you mentioned an updated resource. Is that the next step? It is. We're, we're looking at uh, multiple streams of work. And that's why, to be, again, to be frank, that's why we cut the drilling short. So resource upgrade, we're thinking around November of this year. But we're in the process of also appointing probably two labs to advance the metallurgical and battery test work and the process design work. Um, we have actually formed a technical advisory board to assist in that. We have an experienced metallurgical process designer on board. We've disappointed a chemical engineer as well to that, um, that's that advisory board. So that will be a key piece is, is getting the process design uh, work continued. Because let's remember, there was a lot of work done historically on this project, well over $25 million US. So we will be building on work that's been done previously. We'll be starting preliminary mine uh, studies as well. And all of this will lead into a, a PA, which we're hoping will we'll definitely be first half of next year. Hopefully we can crunch that timeline a little bit and make it first quarter next year. And what's the anticipated timeline on the metallurgical work? Well, that metallurgical work will take you right through to uh, from the preliminary work we're doing. Uh, as I say, that will culminate in the PEA first, certainly first half of next year. But then that will continue on. You know, it it, it doesn't stop until you've you've you've, uh, you've developed your, your processing facility, your mine, and your processing facility. But in terms of the the near term milestone, that will be certainly first half next year. Mm-hmm. And what's the ideal outcome with all this metallurgical work? Well, the, ult- the ultimate outcome is to produce a high-purity manganese uh, chemicals. You know, there's two streams here. There's metal, electrolyte manganese metal, uh, HPMSM, which is the salt. So that's our ultimate aim. Again, with the h- historic work that was done, material from the Emily project has already produced electrolyte manganese dioxide, electrolyte manganese metal. Uh, we've been having long conversations with, with both the lab that did that original work as well as new labs uh, in Australia and Canada. So we're very confident we'll be able to deliver these, uh, these high-grade materials. That's great. I want to switch focus a little bit and dive into manganese a little bit and its role in electrification. Can you elaborate on the metal and why it's crucial for supporting the energy transition? Specifically because, you know, we don't hear too much about manganese. It seems like lithium is is kind of the hot topic that everyone talks about and manganese doesn't seem to get put on the radar. So I want to kind of know your sense and your take on why it's crucial for supporting the energy transition. Well, it's interesting when people talk the transition to clean energy, what does that mean? I mean, it, it means the transition to clean electricity and, and electricity has to Sides, obviously, sorry to be so basic, but there's the generation side. So we're generating electricity through clean electricity through renewables, solar, wind, etc. But then, you know, to, to, to be economic, you've got to store that. So manganese sits on the energy storage side. And it would surprise many that most of the, the um, lithium-ion battery chemistries contain manganese. So it, it is a crucial piece of this transition to clean energy. So manganese is a cathode material. As I said, it's included in most of the battery chemistries. And demand is trending higher, both uh, by end users, EVs, as well as cathode uh, material producers, because we're, we're seeing a real need, a real desire to reduce the bill of materials, to reduce the cost of um, cost of batteries. So uh, manganese assists in that, but also assists in, in, in increasing uh, stability and efficiency of the battery as well. And so you've seen lots of, lots of examples. For example, lithium iron phosphate batteries never used to contain manganese. Now they've added the manganese. So instead of LFP, lithium iron phosphate, it now becomes lithium manganese iron phosphate. And the largest battery manufacturers in the world are, are, are going mainstream on that, on that battery formulation. So what's driving this demand? As I say, it's better energy density and lower cost. In terms of why it doesn't get more attention, it's a really interesting one because manganese is is one of the most pervasive uh, elements on on the planet. I think it's the fourth most um, common element. But 
you know, of the 100% that constitutes manganese material, only 1% is suitable for high-grade battery materials. So I think that people just took it for granted that there's manganese everywhere, and therefore it'll be all right. Uh, but the fact is that uh, some of the, the market pundits, uh, CPM being one, are saying that there's more manganese mines, more manganese processing facilities required than any other battery material. Right. And if there's no domestic production, there's obviously a clear need for Western supply. Is there a particular reason why you, why you think that there is no domestic production in North America? What's the reason for that? Well, the grades. I mean, there's there's manganese. I mean, America used to used to produce manganese, I think, going back to the early 1900s, so the 30s, 40s, etc. Mm-hmm. But it's just a grade. You know, you've got you've got a large deposit in, in the north of the United States that's averaging under 2% mm. And you've got higher grades in Canada. Uh, but it really gets down to you know what 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 Mother Nature delivers, and uh, it's often as simple as that. This is an outlier. Manganese is typically a southern hemisphere material. The fact that we're getting such quality material in the northern hemisphere is just one of those erroneous things that happens. And we're just, uh, to be quite frank, we've lucked out to have this sitting in the industrial heartland of the US in, in, in Minnesota. It seems like a perfect story is brewing for electric metals. You know, as the company's wrapping up this private placement, where will these funds be primarily used? Is it going to be on Emily? Are you guys seeking out new projects? What do you think? Well, we're not. We're certainly not seeking out new products. Projects we've got more than enough to get on with. Um, so, eighty percent, and it's just a notional number, but eighty percent will, will be going into the Emily project. It's where the focus will be. The return on investment we get on on Emily is far greater than than any of our other projects. Uh, so, we'll certainly be, be focusing on Emily. Um, as I say, as we finish the drilling and move into these more developmental activities, we'll see. Uh, you know, we'll really really get down towards that development path uh, quite quite quickly. So, yeah, definitely into into the Emily project. That leads me right into my next question. Can you talk a little bit about the share structure for some of the investors that are listening right now? Sure. We have uh, currently about 100 million shares out. Um, the key thing about that is very supportive shareholder base. Uh, 30% of that of the shares outstanding are owned by management, board of management. Uh, the board has participated in all, in all financings, including this one that's just uh, the first part of which is just closed. Um, we have uh, about 20-odd million warrants out. So the fully diluted fair capital is 130-odd million shares out, uh, including all the warrants and, and the options. Well, that wraps up our time today. Thank you so much for the time, Gary. I appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to the, the near-term results. Thanks, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and remember to follow us on social media, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. This episode should not be considered investment advice. Always do your own due diligence.